Welcome to Merrick's Experts, the podcast that provides analysis of current affairs in China. Governments, businesses, and researchers need information to draw conclusions and to make decisions. But obtaining crucial information from and on China is becoming increasingly difficult. My name is Johannes Heller-Jone, to talk about the securitization of online information, I'm joined today by Merck's Associate Fellow, Vincent Brousset. He is also a PhD candidate at Leiden University, specializing in the application of natural language processing for contemporary China studies. Vincent is the author of the book Social Credit, The Warring States of China's Emerging Data Empire, published by Pellgraf Macmillan in 2023, as well as the co-author with our former colleague Kai von Karnap of the recent Merrick's report, The Increasing Challenge of Obtaining Information from Xi's China. Welcome to the podcast, Vincent. Thank you. And also a shout out to Kai for helping make this report possible. So in your report, you lay out the results of your research on the Chinese online information sphere and how it's getting smaller. What was the situation before in the, let's say, heyday of obtaining information from China? Well, first, perhaps a small kind of guilty admission that I'm too young to have witnessed that, that heyday um, from a first-hand perspective. But really, I mean, it's commonly accepted that there were three kinds of patterns about accessing information, say, 10, 20 years ago. The first was that field work, going to China, going to visit archives, interviewing people was relatively free. It wasn't great. Uh, I mean, police harassment or uh, simply not getting access to all your resources, that still happened. But even on sensitive issues such as minority politics, um, protest movements, access to China was still relatively good. Since 2008, China also rolled out the so-called open government information reform, which required proactive disclosure of literally millions upon millions of government documents to the public at all layers of government. And finally, there was a growing market for third-party data providers, companies such as Chichacha, the enterprise lookup database, CNKI, the academic portal. All these kind of databases were emerging to also provide important information to foreign stakeholders and, of course, domestic uh, as well. But now, of course, over the past few years, we've seen that fieldwork has been becoming more difficult, in part due to COVID, in part due to security concerns in China. And now, as we argue in the report, um, online sources are also becoming more difficult to access. Maybe we can uh, latch on to that and uh, go a bit deeper into what kind of information in the online sphere is disappearing at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So China is not going to become a North Korea where we will not be able to access any information whatsoever. But what we are seeing is a more strict curation of the amount of information and the types of information that we can access. So in general, there are two trends. The first is that this government transparency, the open government information, as I refer to, is reducing. So we've seen policy documents, such as policy documents on China's technology policy, become more hidden from the public. Uh, court cases, uh, court judgments, uh, are no longer uploaded as commonly as they did before. Uh, in 2022, that was about 70% lower than it used to be in 2020. And also statistics, uh, for instance, about China's economy, about China's demographic, we've seen a 3% decrease uh, from 2020 to 2022. So you kind of see that almost every field is affected, but to different degrees. 
Also within court cases, of course, there's a very large variation between, for instance, civil cases and criminal cases. And the second trend next to government itself becoming less transparent is that third-party databases are more and more implementing access restrictions. So for instance, Chichacha that I referred to before, you could no longer register with a foreign phone number. So only if you had access to a Chinese phone number with this plus 86 extension, could you get access to Chichacha. Uh, CNKI, the academic database, restricted access to certain uh, parts of its data as well to foreign license holders like universities. For instance, they could no longer access government yearbooks or dissertations written by Chinese PhD candidates and students. So really, it affects almost every field, but simply to different degrees. But really, the key word here is curation. So it's not about removing all information, uh, because in the end, information disclosure still serves really important purposes, because businesses need to know how the economy is doing. They need to know what regulations they need to comply with to keep the economy running. It's just making sure that it's more tightly controlled what information you get access to and what information may remain hidden or disclosed to only certain people. What do we know about the reasoning of the Chinese government behind this creation? The very boring answer to that is it immensely varies. Uh, I mean, with a country as big as China, of course, uh, it, it, it can depend from field to field. Um, if we look, for instance, at this issue of the tech policy documents that have started disappearing uh, or that were not issued in the first place, there are, of course, very clear geopolitical motives behind there. Uh, so, for instance, the, the big plan for science and innovation, the 14-5 year plan, has not been released to the public, which you can very easily link back to, for instance, the current competition over semiconductors. But it goes even as far back as the Made in China 2025 plan that resulted in all these controversies. So the decision to then not release that plan is very intrinsically tied to these geopolitics. But we've also witnessed cases of policy documents disappearing, not because of politics, but because of lazy webmasters, where a website undergoes an update from version A to version B. Uh, and in the process, they just don't migrate new co the old content to that new website. There may be a bit of politics in there, of course, because still there's someone who decides, well, this is not relevant, we're not going to invest resources in this. But lazy webmasters, um, simply IT issues across China are also contributing to information disappearing. In the field of court cases, the court judgments, for instance, we see, again, very different concerns. Uh, some, for instance, um, divorce cases have no longer been uploaded because of concerns about personal information protection. Uh, but there are also concerns by the courts that releasing all kinds of cases about corruption could either inform the public about the actual severity of corruption, but could also lead to the replication of these offenses so that people use information about these judgments to commit similar crimes in the future. Um, so really, there are all kinds of, uh, of factors. Geopolitics is a big one, but there are also a lot of other dynamics that are very intrinsically tied to simply how Chinese political system at the moment works, domestic concerns that also influence data disappearing. Maybe a follow-up question to that. Is also the kind of information changing that is supplied so not only information disappearing like just like the amount getting less but also the information that is provided is is that changing in comparison with what was supplied before there is certainly a trend that chinese government is not just removing information but they're also trying to fill the gap of the information um, that, that used to be there 
but that's more about than kind of the propaganda system. Um, there have been all these trends of new form of kind of new propaganda outlets that have you know English language messaging towards the outside world. Another trend is that government authorities are increasingly trying to uh, publish policy guidance. Uh, so not just put a policy document out in the open, but also explain how the government itself wants that policy to be understood. Those kinds of trends are indeed happening. Uh, and, and so they are kind of two sides of the same coin, removing access to some information, but also then making sure that there are alternative interpretations out there or alternative or at least authoritative interpretations out there on how what is left should then be interpreted. Why does it matter that this information landscape is changing? In the end, information is really the crucial currency in almost all decisions that we make. If we go to a restaurant, we want to know if that restaurant is good. We want to know if you know their food safety is in order. So we look up information about them. If that information is not there, we may make a different decision or we simply make a decision under higher degrees of risk. And if that is the case with as simple as a restaurant visit, that will also be the case for really major decisions, such as about supply chain audits, about investment decisions into China. For those decisions, you need to have reliable information about how the economy is functioning, what the government's priorities are, what risk factors could, could there be. Uh, and with that information not there, transaction costs essentially increase. So there's risk and that risk will be factored into the market, either because people choose not to invest anymore, or because they will increase the price to account for, for these kinds of risks. So, I mean, that's the theoretical part, but in practice, we really see a lot of these typical questions such as supply chain due diligence, a lot of information related to those um, practices become more difficult to access. Um, so that will then very directly inform how companies can invest uh, into China. Um, in addition to these very specific concerns, um, I think there's also a bigger picture because it will be a lot more difficult to find nuance in the China debate when on the one end you have a Chinese government that is very proactively advocating for a certain interpretation of what is happening there. And in a way that is their good right. On the other hand, foreign outlets uh, will of course try to seek the more spectacular stories because in the end China is far away, you need to make it a little bit spectacular for, for it to sell. So. It becomes very difficult to find the middle ground between these two extremes. On the one hand, the Chinese official messaging and perhaps the narratives that we get here in Europe. How can we find that middle ground when all of that information is missing? We're now in an era where more and more researchers essentially try to understand what's happening in China because China is becoming more important day by day. But the pond in which they can fish is becoming a lot smaller. So in the end, the key will be interpretive quality. How can we still continue to understand what is happening in China when all of that information is so curated. I think those will be some of the really big challenges that we as a research community, but also anyone who has a stake in, in China will face as access to information recedes. You mentioned the, that the heyday of open information in China is like 10, 20 years ago, and not only the, the access to information has changed, but also the position of China in relation to the European Union, for example, is drastically different. If we think like 10, 20 years back, it was much more about uh, extending and, and expanding trade with each other uh, with the hopes of like one day China opening up even further and, and reforms on the horizon in comparison to now where uh, the EU is, is uh, compared to the US still more cautious, but still labeling China as like a 
competitor, but also as a rival. And China's relation with Russia also making it more complicated to work together. And in this context, to to find reliable information and and trying to understand China is is uh, is on the one hand more crucial, but makes it probably even more difficult because the environment is so tense. Absolutely, um, I agree. Because there's less information, it becomes more difficult to assess what's happening in China. At the same time, China's role is becoming increasingly contentious in the world. Um, I mean, indeed, as you mentioned, we've seen it with Russia. It becomes a lot more difficult to assess which companies are doing business with Russia when all these company databases uh, start getting locked up. Um, the same with you know, corporate supply due diligence, again, becomes more difficult if you cannot get an insight into how these companies are operating. Vice versa, if researchers can no longer go to China without restrictions, it becomes more difficult to assess things like development of minorities in China, uh, but also many other uh, examples, like, for instance, energy policies in China, greening policies in China, even they become more difficult to assess when we cannot get this information. And for the European Union, that then ultimately results in that challenge, because what do we then do? We know that there are all these things going on, but we cannot really get a complete picture of them. That makes it more difficult to, to build an informed China policy and makes it also more likely that China policy will then be based on dogmatic views or very principled, ideological, almost political views, simply because that is what we believe. And we cannot get exposed to information that might either confirm it or deny it. Then we're kind of left with these more almost ideological judgments uh, of, of really what, what is going on. What, in your view, can we do about it to prevent this situation of like only uh, deciding on like gut feeling and, and, and preformed ideas about China? So the first thing is that we're dealing with essentially a bit of a cat and mouse game, because in a lot of cases we've seen that if, for instance, a big think tank like Merix, but also many others, if they publish on a sensitive issue, then the next day it's possible that some of those sources will already have been deleted as someone is likely going through these sources and then making sure they cannot be found again. So there's this constant cat and mouse going on about what information you can access. Then once you access it, you use it there's a risk that the authorities afterwards think, okay, well, perhaps we should do something about this information being out there. This, of course, depends a lot on, on how it's being used, who uses it, whether it's a bit sensationalist or whether, you know, a lot of these factors matter, but in the end, you're still with the same conclusion. It is a bit of a cat and mouse game. But we should ask ourselves also as a research community, as observers, what can we do to preserve data and avoid all of these sources from being lost? And I think, what we did not discuss in the report, but Western actors can have a big role to play here. For instance, Google on its search engine used to display cached versions of web pages. Cached versions basically means Google originally retrieves a page at a certain moment in time. It saves a snapshot of that. So then even if the website later goes down, you can still access that cached version. In February, so this month basically, uh, Google discontinued that caching version. So that means that it becomes more difficult to then access sources that are taken down later. In that way, Google is essentially compliant or helping these sources from disappearing. Another story is, for instance, libraries. University libraries, public libraries, they would often have hard copies of journals, but also uh, newspapers, all these kinds of things from China. They would get hard copies. Now everything is moving to digital archives. 
But when we are reliant on a digital archive that is hosted within China, it takes authorities only one click to either suspend a license or to simply delete that record from the archive in its entirety. It's a lot easier to make information disappear in that way than if they had to take all these thousands of physical copies out of circulation that were spread across hundreds of libraries in as many different countries. Even now you see in, in scholarly publications and news, the practice of archiving sources through tools like the Wayback Machine, all these things, uh, these are not at all standardized. So I think for us as a research community, it's of course very easy to, to say, oh, you know, China bad, and sometimes that has merit. But really, we cannot change everything that China is doing. So we need to go back to ourselves. What can we do to make sure that we keep this information ecosystem as open as possible? And that means libraries also investing in hard copies. That means also requiring perhaps private companies to help with this caching system or providing funding to bodies like the Wayback Machine or many other archiving tools to make sure that they can keep operating safely. That also means research practices in academic journals and newspapers to require these archiving practices. So there are a lot of ways that we can look at ourselves and make sure that our way of managing information is ready for the next decade or two, because in the end, this trend is not going to reverse given current trends in China, but also geopolitically. So we can look at ourselves and in that way, I think there, there are a lot of things that we can do to at least mitigate the impacts of what we see here. Do you see a chance for the role of, of governments or perhaps even businesses in putting either pressure on China to be a bit more transparent or doing agreements with China on mutual transparency? Do you think this is possible in any way? To a certain extent, I think there are pathways to do so, uh, especially at the moment, because foreign investment in China uh, from Europe is at a very low level. Um, China's economy, of course, is still kind of recovering from the COVID-19 pandemic. So there is pressure on Chinese authorities to improve systems like data transfers, uh, data access. And so that could be one of the angles that foreign stakeholders could potentially leverage in negotiations with China is to say, well, this is really important to get our business back on track in China. At the same time, the idea of kind of knowledge security, information security in China is so intrinsically tied to how Xi Jinping views national security that it is doubtful whether there's anything that they could do to entirely reverse or change the course of this trend. Uh, so we've been seeing a few instances where, for instance, data export licenses to companies like Chichacha have been granted. But it is really a far stretch from turning this around. So generally, I think what businesses can achieve and do is limited. But of course, that doesn't mean that, that we shouldn't try. Vincent, thank you very much for, for your time, for the insights that you brought uh, to the podcast and yeah, for, for uh, laying out the, the results from your studies. Thank you very much for having me. And dear listener, if you want to follow what Vincent is researching at the moment or has researched before, uh, we'll put a link to his research profile in the show notes. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, goodbye. You have been listening to Merrick's Experts, the podcast from the Makato Institute for China Studies in Berlin. If you want to learn more about our work, please visit us at merricks.org.